Our Old Testament and New Testament lessons for this morning, um, just so you know, average out to a reasonable length. But the Old Testament lesson is uh, much shorter than usual, and the New Testament is a bit longer than usual. Uh, This will begin our Old Testament lesson, Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And this uh, is straight from a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, um, who is king uh, over Babylon, where the people had been, uh, Israelites had been taken into exile. Um, Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day, and we thank you for your word, which you have given to us. We do ask this morning that you would help us as we read together. You'd help us to, to hear and to understand that your word would be like that double-edged sword that divides between joints and marrow, judging the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts. God, we pray that you would help us um, to be open to your word and its power in our lives today. We pray that by your word and by your spirit, you continue the work in our lives of um, making us to be the people you created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. That told you short. New Testament lesson is Hebrews chapter 1. It's all of Hebrews chapter 1 and going on the first four verses of chapter 2. It can be found on page 1860 in your pew Bibles. Excuse me. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. 
They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever had a a prayer request that was answered? The answer is yes. If you've ever had a prayer request at all, you have had a prayer request that's been answered. It doesn't always get the answer that you're expecting. Um, And sometimes we talk about uh, the various answers that God gives to prayer requests. Sometimes it's a yes, sometimes it's a no, sometimes it's a wait. <laughs> and sometimes it's um, something something completely different that he has planned. And there's always an answer to every request. This is one of the things uh, that we see as part of the good news is that because of Jesus, God hears our requests. We are in Christ. He hears it. But what he does with it, that's, that's kind of more his business than ours. And today we're actually going to look at a story where uh, a father has a son, and the son is very sick. He's actually um, near death. He is so sick. And so the father, concerned about his son, has a request for Jesus to come and heal him. And the answer that Jesus gives is probably not the answer uh, that the father was expecting. In fact, the way that Jesus talks about it even, you know, what? Jesus, what are you doing? <laughs> so we are in John uh, chapter 4, the end of the chapter. We will read, and then we'll talk about it. This John chapter 4, starting in verse 43. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more, he he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. 
The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. All right. Now let's go back and walk through. You kind of have the whole big picture at this point, I hope. Uh, But let's look at some of these details as we see what this may have to do with us. And the first thing is chapter, or verse 43. It's a simple sentence. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Well, wait, who is he? What are the two days about? And where is he leaving from to go to Galilee? And this is where we've been in the previous weeks. We saw that at the beginning of chapter 4, he was leaving from uh, Judea down in the south and Jerusalem area, and he's headed back up to Galilee in the north. But that it said that he had to go through Samaria. And this is what we've been talking about uh, the last couple of weeks is when his time in Samaria and how he had met with a Samaritan woman at a well and had quite a conversation there, uh, a life-changing conversation there, actually. And she goes back and she starts spreading the news about Jesus to uh, the other Samaritans who come out and they ask him to stay. And so he does, and he stays with Samaritans for two days. Now he's back on uh, the journey north to Galilee. So this is where what verse 43 means. After the two days that Jesus spent in Samaria with the Samaritans, um, which is where they then came to know that he really is the Savior of the world, then he leaves Samaria to continue the journey he started uh, earlier to get up to Galilee. Is Galilee an important part of this story? I think so. If you just scan the section we just read, the word Galilee or Galilean, it's in here like five times in five verses. John only uses the word Galilee in the entire book like 19 times, 20 times if you include the word Galileans. And five of them he puts in five verses, just back to back to back to back, in the same area where he says, verse 44, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Now why is he pointing that out? I mean, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, right? We all know that from Christmas time. And Bethlehem is down in the south. It's south of Jerusalem. So why is Galilee considered his home? Because that's where Nazareth is. In fact, Cana and where he is right now is pretty close to Nazareth. And so uh, this is where Jesus grew up. This is uh, his kind of hometown area. And as he gets to this hometown area, There are people who have been in Jerusalem for the festival along with him. They saw the signs and the wonders he was doing there. And it said, you know, many people believed there. Now he's coming back home. And what is it that everybody wants to see? Do more tricks, right? Entertain us. Show us something we've never seen before. This is uh, the way that John sets this up for us. So Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And then he just hammers home. He's in Galilee. <laughs> this is where this is taking place. But, uh, says verse 45, when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they'd also been there. 
And once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And then the plot thickens. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. Capernaum is actually the very northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. It's where Peter is from. And uh, it is it's difficult to measure just how far away it is. It's probably between 15 and 20 miles as the crow flies. But that's not the way roads work in Israel. <laughs> and so it's kind of a, a winding path. And you actually drop um, about 1,500 feet to go from Cana down to Capernaum as you get down to the edge of the Sea of Galilee, uh, which is actually below sea level. Anyway, fun fact. Uh, so he's in Cana where he's turned the water to wine, and uh, this guy's son is sick in Capernaum. And he has come, presumably, to ask Jesus to heal his son. Maybe he's there for other things and just hears Jesus is in the area and, okay, good, because my son is sick. Who knows? But when this man heard Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Now this, you could describe as a prayer request, right? This man has a need. He knows what it is that he needs, and he goes and he says to Jesus, please do this thing. This is my request. And his, uh, he begs him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. This is, this is interesting, because this man obviously, from the beginning, believes that Jesus has the power to heal. I mean, that's something, right? And how does Jesus respond? And there are the ways that we might expect Jesus to respond in this situation. Right? He can say, yes, I'm going to do it, or no, I'm not going to do it, or something like that. And instead, his response is odd. Verse 48. He just says, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. What kind of a response is that? I've got a son who is sick and almost dead. I'm asking you to come heal him, and, and you're talking about you know, whether or not we'll believe unless we see signs and wonders. Why is Jesus talking like this? Why, is it any, why doesn't he just say, yes, I'm going to do it, or no, I'm not going to do it? What's with this little uh, interlude? Well, I think this goes back to what's going on in Galilee. That this is what the people in Galilee are wanting to see, is signs and wonders. As though this is Jesus, the hometown boy, who, you know, you think you're big stuff. You think you're something special. We know your parents. This is what comes across in other parts. Uh, we know where he comes from. And here he is. He thinks, look, if you really are Mr. Big Shot, Quit talking about this stuff and let's see something. Come on, let's see it. Let's see some, uh, some sign and wonder, some miracle that you can do. And we'll see this again as we go forward from here. But Jesus just calls it out right up front. He says, that's where your hearts are. And what's interesting is the way that he uses this language of unless you see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. If you go back... In the Old Testament, this phrase gets used quite a bit. 
And often it is used to uh, not describe uh, not describe the way that people come to believe, but to reveal the hardness of people's hearts. A lot of times this phrase is used, it's talking about the signs and wonders God performed in Egypt when Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not believe. And then it talks about it there, and as you move forward, it keeps getting referenced. And Jesus is saying the same kind of thing to the people in Galilee. Look, I can show you signs and wonders. I can do all sorts of things, but if your heart is not ready to, re- to receive my word, you're not going to receive it whether I show you stuff or not. You know, what I'm saying is true or it's not. And uh, if you are ready to receive it, you will. And if you are not, you won't. And it doesn't matter what I show you in response to that. Um, the royal official, though. I love this. He's not asking for signs and wonders, is he? He doesn't say, I want to see something from you so I know uh, if you are who you say you are. He just, it's like, that's really beside the point for me. I have a son that I love and I care about, and he is sick and he's dying, and I just want help. If you can help, please help. Maybe if um, you've ever been there, you know what he's going through. And at this point, Jesus responds again in a way that we probably don't expect. Because verse 49, the royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Make the trip. Down the 1,500 uh, feet in elevation. Come to Capernaum. Do whatever you can do to heal my son. And Jesus' response is just, go, your son will live. What does that mean? Does it mean that Jesus has just healed his son? Or does it mean I'm not interested in taking your case? It's not a serious one anyway. Because that's kind of how it sounds, is that Jesus is just being dismissive and just saying, go, he'll, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. <laughs> that is not what I came for. And yet, how does the guy respond? He takes Jesus at his word. He does what he says. He goes on. Does the man took Jesus at his word. He's going to be fine, I guess. He's going to live. And he just leaves. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being that father in that situation where you have come, like this is the, uh, <laughs> that Star Wars moment of Princess Leia, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're our only hope. You know, this is uh, when he comes to Jesus because I don't know where else to go. I don't have anything else. You are my only hope. You're my last resort. And he's like, ah, no, go ahead and get on out of here. Do you turn and go? Or do you stay there and be like, no, you're coming with me. Let's go. He turns and walks away. 
to me, that is a uh, that is a depiction not of rejection, but of really deep faith. To be able to walk away when at this point he has no sign, no wonder, <laughs> no indication besides the word of Jesus that it's going to be okay. That's all he has to go on. Jesus did not come and check him out, check out his son. He didn't use the stethoscope. He didn't stick him in an MRI. He didn't find out. He didn't do any sort of diagnosis. He didn't do any sort of prescription. He didn't do any sort of surgery. He just said, he'll live. And the guy turns and walks away, taking Jesus at his word that what he has said will be the case. So he has no sign at this point. All he has is the word of God, the word of Jesus. And as he goes on his way, this is where he gets a sign. Verse 51, while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, I think he was suspicious. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Okay, what was the sign? The sign was the healing, right? He healed the son. But do you see the way that the sign takes place? It doesn't take place within the conversation. Uh, it takes place distantly. And the guy finds out about it after the fact. This is not the kind of miracle where you're, that you do to entertain people. I mean, this is, this is long range. You don't have a lot of witnesses to it. And yet, Jesus is doing here what the Father in heaven does. We'll see him say this later. I'm only doing what I see my Father doing. And these are what we see as the signs that Jesus gives. This boy's father is desperate. He needs help. He loves his son. He just wants him well. And Jesus answers this with a yes. Yes, I'll make him well. But that's not the word that he hears from Jesus. What he hears is, go. He'll live. In other words, trust me. Believe me. He's going to be okay. Okay. And this is, I see this as a sign of working behind the scenes. This is what we see God doing. We see God healing people. And doing so not in dramatic, spectacular ways, but doing it behind the scenes. We see God answering prayer, and we see him doing it in ways that aren't necessarily dramatic and you know, for full effect, but instead are behind the scenes that are just answering the issues that are really at play. And now here we see Jesus doing the same thing. And I think it's also important that one of the things we're seeing with Jesus and the way he does this is it is his word right? 
It's the word that the man has to respond to, not the signs and the wonders. When he turns and he walks away, he's only responding to the word. And he's believing that what Jesus has said is true, that what Jesus has said will happen. And then it's only after he gets back and he finds out that, oh, that was the timing and all that, <laughs> that then he actually believes uh, in Jesus. And he and his whole household believe. Before that, it's just taking Jesus at his word. That's it. And that's it. Um, do you remember when we looked at this before, the, uh, in Cana, same place, in Galilee. So this was the second sign that Jesus performed. What was the first one? It's where he turned the water to wine at the wedding. And do you remember uh, what Jesus did to turn the water to wine? Just told other people to fill up some jars, right? That's it. He didn't go over there and start mixing stuff up. He just spoke and it happened. And here again, second sign, what is it? Jesus speaks, and it happens. Does that remind you of anyone? Maybe, say, from Genesis chapter 1. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And you read through the rest of that chapter. This is the way that uh, we see God as the king over everything. What he says goes. When he speaks, things happen. And now we see Jesus. This is, again, the second sign. Is when he speaks, things happen. Your son is living. Your son will live. And yes, it happens. Um, signs we talk about as being as something that ought to point you to something. When we see signs, in this, especially in this uh, Gospel of John, it's always an indication of who Jesus is. So when it describes as a sign, that's what we ought to be asking, is how does this particular story give us an indication of who Jesus is? And what do we see? We see him speaking, and things happen, Right? We see him working behind the scenes. And we see him answering the real issues of the heart rather than being interested in entertainment. Does this remind you of anyone? So this is to be a sign of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. I hope that we can read the signs and that as, um, as the Father did, that we would first take Jesus at his word, and second, uh, that we and our whole households would believe. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.